We are continuing our series in the book of Proverbs, and if you can recall, last week we spoke about the authority that we have in parenting and God's design for that. And this week is sort of the application of that, which is the, uh, the discipline and consequence that we see in parenting from a biblical sense. So I'd like to look at that, and as uh, we've been seeing for the past few weeks, there isn't necessarily a central passage, so we're going to go over a n- numerous different passages in the book of Proverbs. First, regarding discipline. Now, discipline is one of those words that, um, when it comes to parenting, generally has a really bad reputation. And I think for those of us who have either experienced it personally from our own parents or Uh, I know for some of you students, you've experienced it from your parents perhaps, it does not conjure up good ideas or thoughts. But I hope you'll see actually from the book of Proverbs that really if we see it rightly, and especially if you understand that structure, that foundation, that the authority that we have from God to parents when it comes to parenting, that that right authority actually played out biblically is not to our misery or to our suffering, but ultimately to our flourishing, to our prosperity. And so I want to read for you a few verses that we see, and there's many, I could list them for you, but just a few verses when it comes to discipline in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18, discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Proverbs 29, 17, discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. So again, many, many verses in Proverbs when it comes to discipline. One thing is for sure is you can't say, oh, discipline's not in the Bible. Well, it certainly is. I think the real question is, what does God mean when he uses that word. One area that we see the necessity of discipline for is Proverbs 22.15. Proverbs 22.15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. And according to one commentator, folly is the refusal to make moral choices. It's sort of, that sense that a child who is, still has the mind and perspective and heart of a child thinks that actually they're like an adult, that they have the ability and power and wisdom to make adult decisions. And when you consider this concept of folly and wisdom that we see all throughout Proverbs, the challenge for not just children but for every person is there's this constant inversion of folly and wisdom. That is to say that the youngest of children, they actually think they know what is best for them. So if you say, if they say, mom, dad, I want to eat ice cream 20 times a day. And you say no, and they throw a tantrum. It's because in their mind, they believe they're making a right choice for themselves and they cannot see the consequences of their actions. It's just very difficult for them. And then you have an adult who perhaps is 40, 50 years old, 
And they are living in many ways like a child, say an adult man who is living in his parents' home and playing video games all day, not working, sleeping, taking, you know, sleeping for 12 hours and sort of that nightmarish scenario for many parents who imagine, I don't ever want that for my child. See, the inversion, a child who thinks they're an adult but acts like a child and an adult who thinks, who is a, an adult in terms of physical age, but acts like a child. Proverbs is addressing that very reality. Imagine, for example, a teenager. They get their driver's license. On the first day, they come up to you and they say, Mom, Dad, I, I want to take the car and I want to go into um, East Oakland and I want to st street race. I want to do donuts with my friends and... I believe I deserve it. I got a driver's license. And obviously, you say, no way. You're not doing that with my car and risking your life. And their response is, you never let me do adult things. You always treat me like a child. How do you, how do you consider that scenario? Um, a child who says, I deserve to do whatever I want. And you saying, no, you can't. And they think they're an adult, but they're acting still out of a, a child heart. When Proverbs 22.15 says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. It's that they think like a child, they act like a child, they talk like a child, and their, their understanding of consequence to action is displaced. And they cannot imagine that the things that they actually are pursuing in some way deters them from enjoyment and satisfaction and flourishing. Scripture is so clear that our basic instinct is to go our own way. It's not just children, it's adults. We all have that instinct within us. We want to do, as Judges says, what is right in our own eyes. And so when we look at a child who perhaps wants to buy a little trinket in the store, and in your mind you're thinking, oh, they're just gonna, it's just going to be more clutter in my house, and it's, just, it's worthless. With inflation today, it might be $50 for that little plastic toy that's made somewhere abroad. And you're thinking, I don't want to buy that for you because that's just going to be trash. That's trash. And they're throwing a tantrum in the process. How do you deal with that heart? Recognize actually that that's your heart. I don't know if how many of us as parents see in a tantrum ourselves. Do you ever do that? You probably don't. You're so flustered by your own child that what's welling up is irritability, frustration, anger. But perhaps what you don't see is, you know what? Before God, I'm exactly like that. That the concept of folly being bound up in a child is not just a physical child, a biological child, but as well a spiritual child. And according to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 6, we're all children. Listen to what Hebrews 12, 5, 6 says. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. This is not a parenting verse. It's a metaphor to parenting. But in actuality, it's a verse referring to 
people like me and you, Christians, the church. And what the Hebrews writer is saying is that when God disciplines us like we do with our children, it's expressing love, not anger and punishment, but love. It shows us that we are his. We belong to him. He paid a price for us. Unlike our biological children, if you didn't adopt your children, but you biologically had your children, you didn't choose your child. God chose you. He wasn't forced it upon him to pick you. He chose you out of his own desire and delight for you. And so when he disciplines us, when there is pain and sorrow for the purpose of correction, turning, because if our instinct is to move away from God and do everything we can to rebel against him, when God actually turns us around through discipline, he does so so that we can always remember, oh yeah, we're his. We're part of the same family. Apart from God disciplining us, we would actually move away from him and never want to be with him again. So the goal of discipline is not punitive. It's not vengeful. It's not out of hatred or anger or frustration. God doesn't get frustrated with us. It's not as though God thinks, I had no idea this, this guy would be like that. I had no idea Sam would be such a jerk. <laughs> Forget him. I don't want anything to do with him ever again. God knew exactly what I would be like, how pitiful I would be, and he still chose me. But he also knows that my tendency is as, you know, that him come thou found. He says, Lord, I'm pro- my heart is prone to wander. I feel it. And if you're like me, we wander from the Lord regularly. And so the discipline of the Lord brings us back to himself. I mean, think of it this way. If a child run, decides you're at the intersection, mom or dad, you're holding the child's hand, and it's a, one of those busy four-way intersections. It's in the city. And you know how dangerous when it comes to walking can be in this city with so many pedestrian deaths due to hit and runs and car accidents. Well, if a child says, starts saying, I'm going to go, and they just start running off, if you just simply say, no, don't do it, and they say, I don't care, I don't care, and they start pulling away and say no, and if you just let them do it because, well, they deserve freedom. I'm going to let them do whatever they want. I want them to explore the world. That is not a loving parent. A loving parent does not let their child run into a busy intersection to get hit by a car to suffer and perhaps be killed. I think you can all agree with that. A loving parent will do whatever it takes to stop that child from running in the middle of the street. The discipline of the Lord is like that in many ways. It's intended to utilize even suffering and pain to keep us from going astray from him because if the safest, most joyous, most delightful place is to be in God's, is in God's presence, and our natural sinful tendency is to turn away from him, and God then decides out of his love to turn us back, even if it's at the, at, for the, in the uh, context of pain, that's not anger, that's love. You might disagree with that presupposition that, well, I don't know if it's the safest place to be in God's presence or that he's so loving. We can have a discussion about that, but if we can agree to God is loving, he is safe, then 
God uses even our suffering, or as Romans 8.28 says, he uses all things for the good of those whom he loves, even very difficult circumstances. I know some of you are right now going through real pain and sorrow, perhaps grieving, and it, be, it can be crushing. It can sweep over you. But know that even that pain can be used for good. Now, it's not that every pain is discipline, but if you are in Christ, you are a child of God, God uses many times discipline over you so that you will turn back to him. And it really does show that he loves you deeply. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I've quoted him many times, he's a pastor, but he was a physician before. He was a medical doctor, and he was on track to be the royal physician, you might say, before he went and experienced his call to ministry. And this is what he writes, and I think it's so insightful. He says, a doctor's primary duty is to discover the cause of the pain and to treat that pain. Pain is a wonderful symptom which is provided by nature to call attention to disease. And the ultimate uh, treatment for pain is to treat the disease, not the pain. So if a doctor merely treats the pain without discovering the cause of the pain, he is not only acting contrary to nature, he's doing something that is extremely dangerous to the life of the patient. The patient may be out of pain and seems to be well, but the cause of the trouble is still there. Now that is the folly of which the world is guilty. It says, I want to get rid of my pain. So I will run to the pictures or drink or do anything to help me forget my pain. But the question is, what is the cause of the pain and the unhappiness and the unwretchedness? I have a feeling that just like we experience perhaps physically, pain management is such a big moneymaker for the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, the, you know, in the 19, early 1900s, there was no such thing as pain management. <laughs> that whole field of study, there were no studies done on pain. It was, if you felt pain, you took a swig of whiskey to get rid of that pain. But other than that, there were not too many choices. Although, things like cocaine and heroin that were actually found in very commonplace products until people realized, this is really addictive and it's not good for you. And so they, they created a, another way to deal with pain through different uh, drugs and Oxycontin and all these other which opioids that we're struggling with today, all for the sake of pain management. Is there a place for pain management? There is. But we're also seeing the problem of what happens when we make pain and the alleviation of pain our end goal. First of all, it doesn't deal with the core problem of our lives. And secondly is that that pain, as Martin Lloyd-Jones notes, is actually there to show that we have a phys- physiological problem that is a root cause of the pain. The pain is a symptom, not the ultimate problem. And so if you ignore a pain in your abdomen over years or a pain in your mind, your brain, you might find out that there's a tumor there. But if you're just simply taking Advil or just trying to figure out how to alleviate the pain without dealing with the core problem, something's going to get to you at the very end. It will kill you. And here's the problem is that spiritually speaking, there is a core problem. The core problem is depravity and sin. 
And for those of you who were here at the very beginning of worship where Vadi Bakum describes so well the gospel, and the problem is that we face an eternal problem, and that eternal problem has a real consequence. And if we're not dealing with the core consequence, but just simply want our pains to be alleviated, we want our, our momentary pleasures to be tickled. And as long as we get the moment satisfied, we're happy. We think everything's going to be okay, and it's not. I'm probably at least in line with most of you or a, a before or actually in front of most of you when it comes to parenting. And every stage of parenting has its own sort of hope and point of uh, achievement, you might say. If it's a kindergartner, you want them to not be like me and get second honors in kindergarten because I couldn't cut straight. You know, you want them to be first honors in kindergarten and then you start playing sports, and then you want certain accolades, certain prizes. You want to be the MVP of the team. You want to win that competition on the dance floor. You want, you know, you want to be the top ballerina of the, of the world, or whatever it might be. And as you go along, and then there's college, and there's a job. And, and so every stage of life has this achievement that we long for. But one thing you know is that as you move along each stage and pass it, begin to realize, you know what? It's actually, I, I thought there would be more elation than this. I thought I'd be happier when they got there. But I'm not. Because you, your hope is in some medal, some acceptance to a job or a school. And once you achieve that, you become sorely disappointed. Or maybe that you don't, they don't achieve it. See, our hope is placed on secondary points. If our hope is in the alleviation of pain or momentary satisfactions, we will miss out on what God has to show us. So the point of discipline is to remind us of the exact opposite. It's not about being satisfied in the moment. It's about experiencing pain in the moment for the long-term goal of experiencing utmost delight. A child that is rebellious against a parent is on a destructive road. And we cannot think that this is, I, I don't want to deal with that. I want them to explore and let them to do whatever they want. And so therefore, we never implement any type of discipline in their life. And in the process, folly that is bound up becomes unleashed. And it is, and I've said this to the parents at the parenting seminar, if you think the challenges of dealing with a wayward child at two years old is difficult. Wait till they're 15. Wait till they're 30 and 40. So all that we're doing in the earliest stages is foundation building for the future. And if you can recognize that if I can trust God's word and his plan, which assumes you trust him, and so therefore in the moment it's hard, but you stay the course, you persist, you're faithful because God stayed the course. He persisted with us and he's faithful with us. He always sets the stage by doing the work himself. And then he says, follow me, trust me. I, I'm doing this for your ultimate good. J 
Jesus tells the church in Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. This is Jesus telling the church in chapter 3 of Revelation. He's saying the linkage is there, love, reproof, correction, discipline. It's not hate, reproof, discipline. It's love. I don't go around disciplining your children. That's not my role. You know why? Because they're not my children. But for my children, I discipline them. And both Sue and I have done it for years as, we were gro- as they were growing. And uh, we were imperfect. We made mistakes. We had to ask for forgiveness many times. We had to humble ourselves. And we had to have many conversations and talks and times of training. And... But I will say this, though, is that what I'm thankful for is that we, we delight in our children. I think they do in us. <laughs> um, I'm thankful because my children, even to this day, the two of them are in college, and they will call us for advice, counsel, and we don't say to them, you better call us. We do say, you should call us, but not for counsel and advice. You know, they're on their own. But there are times where they're struggling, and they will call us and say, I really need your wisdom. I have to admit, I, did, I never called my parents to ask for advice when, the, when, we were in co- when I was in college. Now, I'm not saying we're not perfect by any means, but what we try to do is to develop, even at the youngest of ages, times of enjoyment. And here's the thing is that when discipline is connected to punishment and pain as an end, that leads to uh, frustration and anger fear. And discipline is never meant to be out of fear. If you're angry, if your face is red, if you're tense, you should never discipline your children. Not at that moment. You have to take a step back. Discipline is always out of love, calmness, peace. Another thing is that you have to have discussions with your kids and enjoy them and have fun with them. And most of all, talk about Jesus in fun with them. Because if you try to discipline your children and say, I want you to know that Jesus told me that you don't obey his commands, so now I'm going to have to punish you. Well, guess what your kids are going to think about when they think about Jesus? They're going to think, wow, Jesus is an angry man. And Jesus, I hate Jesus, because all he wants to do is punish me. And parents, when you only bring in God's word, when you're disciplining your kids, you're setting your kids up to hate God's word, to not trust it. God's word should be a word of joy. When you're having fun with your kids, you should be bringing in God's word. When you're on vacation and you're having the utmost fun with them, say, you know what? God provided for us. Here's what the Lord has done. Look at the beauty of creation that we're experiencing as you're hiking along or as you're doing these wonderful things. And out of that, when you're disciplining, you're reminding them of Look at what you're missing out on, the promises, the joy, the splendor of God as you rebel against him. And this is why I want to bring you back to that joy. So discipline is never an instrument of punishment as if revenge and only frustration because you've had enough, you've had it up to here with them. It's, I need to take a calm step. They need to listen. 
and you want to show them Christ. Now, the second point is that unless they hear that there is a consequence to action, the discipline is worthless. The book of Proverbs links consequence as a key to how we speak to our children. Listen to what Proverbs says. I'm going to give you three of them. Proverbs 17:21. He who sires a fool gets himself sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. Wow, you do not want to sire a fool. Second, a fool, foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. And then lastly, Proverbs 28, 24, whoever robs his father or his mother and says, that is no transgression, is a companion to a man who destroys. Parents, if you do not help your children to see this connection between their foolish actions and their destruction, according to these Proverbs, who does this hurt most? The child? If you look at those verses, actually, you know who it hurts most is you. So, there has to be a linkage between their actions leading to a specific consequence. And discipline is to show them that consequence. And if they never make the connection of their foolish action leading to a pain, that does change over time. And there's so much that I'm missing you know, from the, from the practical realm that we could talk about. But over time, it does change. Pain is different in different ways. Maybe initially, it's, it's physical. Eventually, it becomes, it could be financial. <laughs> right now with our kids, sometimes um, if something goes amiss, we have, the law has its place. And we say, one of our rules is during, whenever you, I know this sounds ridiculous, but whenever you eat dinner, you're not allowed to burp or pass gas ever, ever. And sometimes it happens. And so I will say, you, you, you have to pay a fine. <laughs> and we'll literally take money from them. Sometimes, you know, and the thing is, when, you, when a teenager has a job, when you start taking money from them, it actually hurts. <laughs> it can hurt in a certain way. There is different pains at different levels of different stages. And so how you implement those pains is, might be different, but it's important. There has to be this idea of, Action that flows from the heart, by the way. So it's always the heart that leads to a fruit. And that action then has a consequence to that action. If you, for example, are a person, a mom or a dad, who you get notice from a school, and the teacher says, I, you get hear those dreaded words, come in for a parent meeting. I don't know how many of you have actually had to do that, but you go in, is your first instinct to start lecturing the teacher and say, how dare you say that my child did something against you? Or maybe your child did do something. You're thinking, what can I do to get him out of this situation so that they never bear any type of cost or consequence to their action? And you might think, if I can just get that, you know, get that C instead of a C to a B or get that B to an A, and they didn't put in any work. And so you're doing all the work for them. I know parents, how many of you are guilty of this? You don't have to raise your hand. You can answer in your heart. And you think, I just gotta do this for them if they can just get it once. 
And so they do it because you did all the work. And then next year, it's the same thing. Next year, the same thing. You might think, well, I'm just helping them to not, eventually they'll get it. But they don't get it. Not really. Not that you failed because you were lazy. And therefore, there's a cost to that. Instead of getting into that school, which you wanted to go to, now you have to go to this one. We parents are so tempted to bail them out of that. But that is a short-term process of thinking rather than thinking in the long term. Because what we're teaching them is that your actions do not bear the consequence of what you've, you've done wrong. And by doing that, there's a quick transference of that spiritually. Spiritually, it's I can do whatever I want and God, you actually, you're okay with me because I've, I've, I know you'll get me out of this situation. James Dobson tells a story of the time this mother of a teenager uh, came in for counseling and she was just completely uh, at wit's end because this, this teenager boy was um, rebellious, was cursing her out constantly, and she just didn't know what to do. And so what James Dobson asked this question said, can you go back and think of any, like go as far as you can to remember any time where you can remember that child being rebellious against you. And she thought for a while and then she said, well, I do remember when, this when he was uh, young enough to be in a crib, he had a very something in his crib that I didn't want him to have. And so as she went to go grab that object and take it out of the crib, the boy said, no. And so she said, don't say no to your mom. And he said, no. Said, don't say no to your mom. No. Don't. And then he spit in her face. And she was so troubled by that that she left the room. And from that point forward, whenever the boy said no or refused, she would back off. Now, is anyone here at all in wonderment of how a teenager now, teenage 15-year-old boy, when the mom is trying to implement certain rules, should expect anything different when throughout the whole life, it's this teenager, this boy from two years old to 15 years old was able to do whatever they wanted to do. And the mom, while she can say no, never really did anything about it. The reality is that we have to recognize that this is so much of our hearts. And Jesus says so clearly here that we will eventually face the consequences of our fruits. Matthew 7, 17 through 20, Jesus says, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Oh, I hope you never see that. That you let your child go to express bad fruits to the point where ultimately they're cut down. I mean, Jesus' words are a warning to us, not just to the child, but to us. Because remember, our parenting is essentially a mirror to our own soul. 
And until we see that we're just like our children and we bear the weight, the crushing weight of that burden. There's a promise that is so much better. Proverbs 14, 26, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. As we're parenting, as we're teaching the Lord, as we're showing how beautiful, how delightful Jesus is, the hope is that your children will actually find God as their refuge in every stage of their life. All of these words of understanding authority, understanding discipline, understanding consequence, all of that is to have that child become a person who actually sees God as a comfort and knows with assurance that even the greatest of pains that they've experienced in their life, they can run to God for help and for hope and to trust him. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 12, verses five through seven. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have, in, have to endure. God is treating you as sons. You know that last part, God is treating you as sons? There's only one way that we know of that God treats us as sons. That the discipline, when God disciplines us, he does not discipline us to the fullest that he should nor could. Because Jesus bore the crushing weight of our discipline ultimately. When he said, Father, forgive me, for they do, for they do not, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And my God, my God, why have you forsaken me on that cross? He's bearing the weight of our discipline. When you look at a child that is resistant to your instruction, I hope you see that this is what we are like to God himself, God the Father. And God still sent his son. Knowing everything about us, he still sent his son to love you. He gave himself for you so that he would bear the punishment you deserve and I deserve. Because of that truth, we are welcomed into his family and he treats us as sons and daughters. Does that mean that he never disciplines us? No, we experience the, some discipline to turn us back to him, but we'll never experience the fullness of his discipline because Jesus bore that for us. And that's why we are always mindful of all that Christ has done. Listen to what Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. The consequence, so we talk about consequence, the consequence of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is our God. He loves you. He gave himself for you. May you never forget that as you lead your children in the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we turn to you. And we yield our hearts to you. We thank you for the cross. Thank you that you bore the punishment, Lord Jesus, of our rebellion against the Father of our sin, of our depravity. We are in every way, spiritually speaking, throwing tantrums almost incessantly before you. We wander away from you. We seek and perhaps succumb to other gods. We worship them. We place our security and hope in money, in lust, 
in the approval and cheers of people, in being the center stage of the world. But you show us, Lord Jesus, that left on our own devices, we'd be hopeless. But you gave your life so that we might, and you gave it and you paid the ransom for many so that we might have life abundant in you forever and ever. Out of that, O oh Lord, help for those of us who are in this stage of life as parents to discipline with love, to be kind and merciful, to teach our children the joy of knowing Christ, that it wouldn't be just with anger and frustration. I know some of us, we're really struggling with that right now. And that's exactly why he died on the cross, that we can start again anew, afresh. We can believe and act in faith and no longer just simply out of our flesh and out of our feelings, that we can actually decide today that we will love our children the way you love us. We'll do so, we'll discipline when we need to. We'll show mercy and kindness. We will delight in you. Thank you for your son that makes all things possible. Thank you for this cross that enables us to do so. In Jesus' name we pray.